by the grace of God, from next Sunday, everyone will be able to come to church, even though we will still leave our online platforms on for people that join us from outside the area from time to time. So please continue to be encouraged. I am particularly grateful because God helped me for the past, I don't know, three months or so that we've been having church like this with the global pandemic. I have not had cause to leave this pulpit one Sunday. So I must be very grateful that God made it possible, not because of anything we know how to do, but just out of his grace. And I want to thank God for the saints of God uh, that have labored very hard and are laboring so hard to keep the services going, to keep the meeting of the saints together. I want to say God bless you. God has allowed us to learn a lot of things in three months, a lot of things. We have learned so many things, and I believe God makes us learn these things because of the journey ahead. He said to Elijah, he said, eat, for the journey is far. The journey ahead may be far, but God has taught us a lot of things in these few weeks that will help us to run even better. And may God continue to deliver those great things to us in Jesus' name. So we are very grateful. I'm so glad to see many of you. Many of you have just been speaking on the phone. It's good to see Ramatis again. And uh, who have I not seen in a long time? Timmy. And I think I saw most of you. And I'm seeing some of you for the first time. The, the, um, the Uyoyomas, I'm seeing you for the first time. We have spoken on the phone. And uh, have I seen Broyemi? I saw you last week. We speak almost every day, so I don't know when I saw you last. <laughs> God is faithful. And Elder Denny, we, we are always in touch. So, and on Facebook as well. So God bless you all. God bless you all. And those of you on Zoom, I still haven't seen you physically, many of you. But I believe that you are fine. And uh, your children must have gone to their classes, but thank you for taking care of them. Next week, we will make the proper arrangements for their classes downstairs, set it up properly so that they can also be in. So please just bear with us. Uh, the ushers and some of the brethren that can help to do that, please wait after the service so that we can, we can attend to those matters. We want to bless God. We are continuing our series on releasing the power for restful increase today. And... Um, as you can see in our banner, we are on the second bit. Last week, we looked at the joy of the Lord. This week, we are looking at the peace of God. When God gave me this picture, I tend to look for a picture that is sort of as close as possible, representing what God is laying on my heart to emphasize, okay? You know, you can talk about something in the word of God, and then there's a particular thing God wants you to emphasize. Last week, we looked at the joy of the Lord, you know, and uh, we looked at it from the perspective of how it helps us to run our race to rest. And that is the context we are looking at all this. So I see it like a, a highway that as we are passing through, we are driving our faith car, our faith vehicle. But to continue to fuel it, we need these things. That is the way I want you to contextualize these topics. So the peace of God is a force. We are looking at the topic today, the force of the peace of God. The peace of God is something that must accompany our faith if we are journeying into rest. You see, we, we must understand that every promise of God requires certain steps, requires certain actions. God has already done it, but there are certain things we need to do in cooperation with God and the Holy Spirit in order for us to enjoy it. God will not do what we need to do. He will do what he can do and he should do, but he expects us to do what we should do. 
So this second session will be looking at the force of peace. The word peace itself is basically referring to a state of tranquility or quietness of spirit. It has, it also, just like joy, it also has no regard for circumstances. Last week we said how important it is to understand that joy is a gladness of heart that does not have regard for circumstances. Joy does not depend on happenings. Only happiness depends on happenings. We discussed all that last week. And if you are uh, joining us online, uh, you, you, you can follow those messages. They are on our LifeGate Outreach TV page. And please make sure that you subscribe so that you can always be getting the series. And they are also on podcasts as shown on the banner. But I want to say that the same way joy does not depend on circumstances, the peace of God also does not depend on circumstances. Our lives are such that we must leave them in the context of the provisions of Scripture so that we are not tied to things. Everybody is tied to the natural environment. That is natural design. But when you become supernatural, when you become born again, the Bible says you remain in this world, but then you are no longer of this world. So you must live as the citizen of the place that you are of, even though you are in the place. I always use the example of when you visit another country and they welcome you very well. You will always remember that you are in that place, but you are not of that place. It sits and settles for you. That is how it must be for every child of God, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. So we must know how to live as people who are not of this world, but of heavenly citizenship. So the term peace is a gift from God. That's why we read it in Galatians 5.22 as one of the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says it is love, joy, and then the third one is peace. It's peace. So we need to understand some things first about God and then the peace that he wants us to walk in as a driving force to our rest. The first thing that we need to know is that God himself is the God of peace. Many places of scripture describe him in this way. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, particularly, the Bible says, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, thank you. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, how? Completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace. The God that sanctifies describes himself as the God of peace through this letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. He is the God of peace. He didn't just say, now may God himself say the God of peace because part of what sanctification does, that separation unto God, part of what it infuses into us is the peace of God. When we make peace with God, we have the peace of God. And we're going to see that again very shortly. He is the God of peace. We have been elected for his grace and purpose when he and, and his peace. We have been elected for his grace and peace. When he called us unto himself, what he has given us, what he has chosen to give us, is the grace of God, his grace that has appeared to us for salvation, and it is accompanied by his peace. When Peter wrote his epistle, he said in 1 Peter 1 verse 2, he said, we are elect according to, let's read it together, everybody. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ 
what? Grace to you and peace be multiplied. We are the elect. We are the chosen generation. The Bible says, them whom he foreknew, Romans 8, 29, them whom he foreknew, them whom he called, and them whom he called, them he justified, and them whom he justified, he glorified. So we are elected according to the foreknowledge, them whom he foreknew, he elected. You and I did not stumble into our salvation. It was by divine election. And when we responded, now what many people say, does that mean some people were not elected? Everybody is elected. The only difference is when you respond by grace, you respond and connect to your own election. Because the Bible says the grace of God for salvation has appeared to all men. That's what makes the difference. It is the faith work that we brought, that brought us to him, that caused us to respond to the grace that perfected our election. Because many people have got hung up on that. When they see the word elect, they think of election like election of, uh, you know, countries where election work properly. Praise the Lord. Because some countries election don't mean what we think it should mean. <laughs> I have to quickly put that one in there. <laughs> Hallelujah. So they think of that kind of democratic election whereby, you know, people are voted for into a place. It's not easy. God's desire is that no one would perish, but that everyone be saved. So when Peter wrote, he said, we are elected according to the foreknowledge of God. Sanctification means we're separated. We've heard that from me so many times. We are in sanctification for obedience. So we must continue to walk in obedience to the one who has called us, who has elected us. Last week we also read in Romans 14, 17 that for the kingdom of God is not what in eating and drinking, but in what? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I said last week and I say again that they come together. When you become the righteousness of God in Christ... It is automatically assigned to you that you enjoy the joy of the Lord and you enjoy the peace of God. Our righteousness brings us into a state of being at peace with God. Our becoming righteous means that we come into a place of being at peace with God. And when we are at peace with God, we can continue to enjoy the peace of God. One of the most cardinal purposes for which Christ came is to give us peace. It is in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, that the Bible reminds us that for unto us a child is born, sorry, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. The Bible says, and concerning that child, concerning that son, he said, and of the government, and of the increase of his government, and of his peace, there shall be no end. In fact, in verse 6, the Bible says he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is one of his cardinal purposes of coming. So Jesus didn't just come as a prophet to preach a religion. He came as the ultimate sacrifice. He came as the selected faithful high priest. He came as the only alternative the only remaining way 
the truth and the life that men will be saved and that men will enjoy the peace. Don't forget the word peace means tranquility, serenity, even in the most adverse of circumstances. That is why he came. We don't have time to go into it. If you look at all the prophecies of the angels and what they said about his coming in Luke chapter 2, they kept on declaring peace. He has brought joy to the world and he said, goodwill, Luke 2.14. He said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. He brought peace to the world. He brought peace to men to enjoy. So this is why it is important for man to make peace with God. If you are born again, you have made peace with God and it must start from there. Many people want to have the peace of God, but they don't want to make peace with God. You cannot have the peace of God if you don't make the peace with God. It's like a marriage. You cannot enjoy the benefits of marriage if you don't marry, if you don't get into a marital relationship. So you want to have peace, you want to enjoy the peace of God, you must enjoy, you must come to the place of making peace with God. A lot of people, what does it mean to make peace with God? We all know that when man fell, man was estranged from God. And the whole purpose of Jesus coming is to restore man to make peace with God. So everybody must come into that place where they accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so that they can make peace. That justification, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 from verse um, 1. Go to Romans 5, 1 for me, please. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith, when we've responded by faith, then the first thing we have is not the peace of God. First and foremost, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we do what? We stand. When we have the peace, we've made peace with God, it gives us more grace and access. That is why the Bible says we, are now, we can now come boldly to his throne of grace that we may have find what grace and obtain mercy to help us in time of need, to help us to keep standing. So we have access by faith into this grace. You have heard many times that faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the language of God. Everything that you have to, that's why the Bible says without faith you can't please him. To enjoy the peace with God that you have accessed by becoming born again, you must continue to go by faith that you have peace with God. The peace we have made, the Bible says that and we keep rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Those verses are loaded. We don't have enough time to dissect everything there. But just understand that your being born again is not just bringing you into a religion. It did not just bring you into a religion so that when they ask, what is your religion on a form, you say, Christian. <laughs> it does much more than that. That one is just to give an identity that is earthly. But the reality is that you have become an entity that is a benefactor of the peace of God. Because you have made peace with God. You have entered a transactional process. You have entered a transactional covenant with God that means that he is committed to your peace. The way you committed to him through his son Jesus, he is also committed to your peace. 
This, therefore, the peace we have made with God means that we have a clear conscience. It means that we have no fear of death anymore. It means that we have no fear, we should have no fear of death or eternity. As a matter of fact, for those who have been saved, the last breath you breathe here on earth means that the next breath you are breathing it in heaven. When you see it and understand it that way, you know that life doesn't end here. Many people do not understand why Christians should not be afraid of death. We, that doesn't mean we live our lives carelessly and say we are ready to die anytime and just be careless. That's not what it means. It simply means that we are living our lives fulfilled on a daily basis and at peace, not afraid of death because we understand that death is life for the believer. Death translates you to the real eternal life. And that is part of what the peace of God does. That's why when you are in a vehicle or you are in a plane and it's going all over the place, you, there is a difference that should be on the, and, and, and it's looking as if something terrible is about to happen. A believer should have a different disposition from one who is a non-believer. But if the man who knows not is shouting, hey, I'm finished, and the believer is saying, I'm finished, it shows that the believer does not understand who he is. Because you can't be finished. You can't be finished. If God says that is the end of the life, so be it. But there is a new life which we are all having and rejoicing as the hope of the glory of God. So we must understand this because this is part of what we need to have as what gives us the evidence of our peace with God. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. So we continue to walk in the full assurance that we have been redeemed, we have been set free, we have been made whole. The accuser can no longer hold us in the place of guilt and shame because we have made peace with God. Hallelujah. So this force is generated by starting with the peace that we have made with God. We need to always be confident. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 6, it says, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And verse 8 says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We just prayed for the great servant of God, Dr. Morris Cerullo, just a few moments back. And when, when I heard of his death on, on Friday, and uh, I was just thinking in the last 10 years, you know, some of the sages, some of the great, great servants of God that have left us and have translated. And I can just imagine to the glory of God and by the grace of God, I can just imagine many of these men and women just, you know, looking at us and saying, keep on, keep on. It's just a matter of time. Some of them died like he died at 89. When I first got to know him, he was basically just really in his 40s, late 40s. That's when I first knew him, first heard about his name, you know, about 40 years ago when I was a very small child. I heard first about Dr. Maurice Cerullo about the same time, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, late Billy Graham. These men were, you, 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 you were just in awe of what they were accomplishing without internet, without computers those days. They would gather one million people. <laughs> no other advert other than those newspaper things that, you know, were common on those days. One million people, half a million people, packed stadiums all over the world. We bless God for their lives indeed. 
But you see, there is a hope. Because at the end of the day, this is what it's about. We don't all have to do it at that level, like I've said over and over, but the reality is as a child of God, as you are running this race, you are also running your own race, contributing in your own way, and it is ultimately to be present with the Lord. Rest in that. This kind of thinking helps you on a daily basis to see why certain things are not worth it. Some of the struggles of life and some of the tussles of life, you know, some of the wranglings of life, some of the strivings with men are completely a waste of time if you understand that, look, this is a temporary place for me. How many of you have gone on a holiday or in one person's country and you know that you are living in the next three days and then somebody is trying to get you into a fight? Wouldn't you just laugh and go away because you know you are almost going? <laughs> Even my home country... Because they are driving at times can run you mad. So that's what I used to console myself when I'm, and they are driving and they are doing, I say, I just have two more days. <laughs> I will leave this madness. <laughs> just two more days by the grace of God. <laughs> when they are taking me to the airport, I say, Lord, thank you. <laughs> I'm still alive. <laughs> One day we were approaching the roundabout and the driver that took me, he just when the other way on the roundabout, I shouted, what? He said, ah, sir, you have to keep quiet. That's how we drive. <laughs> he said, if no, we will not pass it. Are you not the one that said you want to go somewhere? I said, I know, but ah, what if a car is coming? He said, no, they will move. And truly, they were clearing for him. I said, man. <laughs> now, I drove in that country for about 15 years before living there. But what I see nowadays is, is a fact. I don't drive there anymore. Almost... I don't know. I think I stopped driving in that country 2011. I drove one day. When I managed to bring the car back to where I stayed, I said, Lord, I thank you. From today, when I come to this country, I will get a driver. <laughs> Man, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, you just, you, you keep looking forward to a hope. And this is how a Christian journey should be. Jesus himself said, my peace. We read it when Pastor Moses read us the Bible reading for today. Those of you that are online, and may have missed that, we read from John chapter 14, verse 15 to 31. But verse 27, Jesus says something very profound. He said, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. He personalized it. He said, it is my peace and I'm giving it to you. He said, it is not the type that the world gives. This is not the United Nations kind of peace. This is not the Metropolitan kind of peace or the West Midlands Police kind of peace. This is not the kind of governmental peace that MPs, as, as, as good as they are trying, are ever trying to do or trying to give. He said, the world gives you that kind of peace, but that is not my peace. He said, my own peace means that you should not allow your heart to be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. If you read the last sentence very well, you will understand that the choice for your heart to be troubled or afraid is yours to make. The choice for your heart to be troubled and be afraid is yours to make. Even though he has given you his peace, he doesn't lord it over you. You have to take that peace and say to your heart, heart, do not be troubled. Heart, do not be afraid. It is your choice to make. May we make the right choice in Jesus' name. And so very quickly, I want to share with us three things that I believe, I mean, there are so many things, but three things that we need to recognize and remove as what I call peace destroyers. 
they, they, they come to always destroy our peace. Just like we looked at some things that we call joy killers last Sunday. These peace destroyers are things we have to identify in our own lives and make sure that we allow God to work in us, not to cause those things to rob us of our peace. The first thing we need to realize as believers is that not trusting in God's sovereignty can rob us of our peace. Not trusting in God's sovereignty can rob us of our peace. It's a very funny, if I can draw a graph, I would have drawn it. It's a very funny thing. When we get born again and we come to respond to the gospel, we are like babies. We are so trusting. We are so joyful. But somehow, if we don't discipline ourselves, as we grow in maturity, we start, we start to take some things for granted and we even start to think we know some things better than God. We don't say it, but we are no longer as trusting. We are no longer, we are now analyzing because we know more scriptures now. We will now be using the word of God to analyze God himself. And God is saying, just trust me like the baby that you were when I first called you. The sovereignty of God. Because the Bible says, Romans 8.28, the Bible says, for we know that all things work together for good. We must trust him. Proverbs 3, verse 5, he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, he said, acknowledge him and he shall make your paths straight. Paul gave something in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. He said, at least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, what? A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. It was given by Satan. And so naturally, if something is given by Satan, you expect that when you cry to God, God will just take it away. Paul said, and I, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord. I prayed three times that it might depart from me. Because in my own thinking, the way I will have peace is when this thing is taken away from me. How many of us have been there before? We just feel, Lord, if only this thing can be taken away. If only this job can be changed. If only this thing can be better. If only this child can behave better. If only this marriage can work better. And those things sound right and logical. Paul said, I prayed. I mean, you know this was a man who was pressing into the heavens at every time. Doing things that no mortal men were doing. He said he cried to the Lord, pleaded with the Lord. He basically said, Lord, please take this away from me. He said, I pray that it might depart from me. But look at God's response. And this is what God is saying to everyone today. If you want to enjoy the peace of God and understand how to stay in his sovereignty, remember what God said to Paul. He said, and he said to me, my grace, let's read it together. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul now said, let's read it. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Friends, we need to know that the sovereignty of God and the wisdom of God is wiser than whatever we can call wisdom. God knows much more than we, will, than we know and we will ever know till we meet him. Until we become like him. When the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.23 that we shall be caught up in the air and we shall be like him, we must understand that until we get to that state of perfection, his ways will always be better. His thoughts concerning us will always be better. He said, I know the thoughts I think towards you. They are of good and not of, of evil to give you a future and a hope, to bring you to an expected end. I know those thoughts. You don't know them. What you know and what you see is not what I know about you. God knows 2025. Jesus starting to come. He knows 2040. He knows 2030. He knows more than you and I can ever know at this point in time. You may think you have it all figured out, but he knows. So when you are seeing things around you that you cannot explain as a child of God, all you need to do is to rely on his grace. Say, Lord, I thank you for your grace is sufficient. I thank you. I finished university very early. I was only 20 years old, which was very, nowadays is very common. You even see 19. I was only 20 years old, finished a five-year course back in my home country when I graduated. And uh, I had a good degree in civil engineering. Most of my age mates at that time, once you had a 2-1 and above, you walked into an oil company and you read engineering from a good university. In fact, all the universities then, this was the very late 80s, all the universities there were virtually top-rated. Engineering school was very tough those days, and we went through it. And that's why it's helping many of us today to be able to practice anywhere in the world by God's grace. But everybody was getting into oil companies, and I was making the applications. It was everybody would say, oh, I just got mine. I've been called to this company and called to that company. And everybody was like, David, when is yours? It was like a given that, oh, no, David, of course, David will get his, because age was on my side, good grades were on my side. Everything, I went for three interviews. The closest I got to it, that was when I knew that I must rest in the sovereignty of God. The closest I got to it, the place I was working then, I was teaching in a polytechnic, and uh, the lady took the letter of, after I've done about first assessment, second interview, and then the letter they used to invite me for medicals, which was like the last step. The secretary who said she was helping me collected the parcel, locked it in her drawer in, in protecting the letter, so-called protection of the letter for me, and went on leave. And I never knew until three weeks later she came back. I didn't know the letter came or anything. Then when she saw me after about two weeks, sorry, of her leave, she came back he said, ah, I kept a letter specially for you. <laughs> when I opened the letter, the interview had passed by one week. <laughs> I, was, I was frozen. I said, auntie, because I used to call her auntie. She was a little bit older than me, but she, I mean, she was older than me, but she, she was kind of elderly, so we respected her. I said, auntie, you've almost ruined my life. She said, what happened? I showed her the letter. She nearly burst into tears because it's like you have affected somebody's day. You can't get to medicals at that point if you have not crossed some certain stages. But you know what God spoke to me? I was, I was about 22 years old, 22, 23 years old, but that was when God made me see that this thing is not for me. Tough as it was. Now, 30 years later, we have colleagues. We are all in the same WhatsApp group today. Many of those are colleagues. We still communicate in real time today. And some of them even join our services from time to time. 
30 years later, we can look back and see that God had different plans for all of us. Some of them had gone very top. They became MDs in some of those companies. Some of them went to places like Houston to work. But today, we're all grateful to God that God charted our causes the way he's proposed. You may think you know what is right for you. And until you know how to trust the sovereignty of God, you will never be able to enjoy the peace of God in what he is working out for you. God knows more than you know. He knows more than you never know. All you need to keep doing is to keep saying, Lord, I thank you for your grace is sufficient for me. And at times, yes, what we desire is what he gives. But until you understand that many, many times, God doesn't always give us what we chose to give. Do you know that the Wolverhampton Warsaw I'm in today for the past 20 years was not the plan? Six months before that time, everything looked like I was leaving Nigeria to go to Manchester. Everything. I was given a PhD just like I was eventually given here. Everything was looking like Manchester. And then suddenly, somebody said I needed to pass English language. Uh, what do you call the IELTS? This is the year 2000, I'm talking when it was not even an issue at all. 1999-2000. And they, like joke, the person just pulled it and pulled it, and that letter got stalled. It was never issued. And then I saw this Wolverhampton advertise for studentship within the same period. I applied. And as soon as I applied, within two weeks, I got a letter back to say that I have been given the studentship. I had never heard such a thing. I wrote the person, I said, are you asking me to come for an interview or you want to? Because there was no internet. We had email then, but there was no sort of like video thing like today. I said, I still have a visa because I used to travel a bit then. I said, I still have a visa. I can come for an interview. He said, no. I said, I don't have any interview. He gave me four questions on, the, on an email. He said, answer it. Some of you that came for my 50th last year, you saw the, the professor Edwards. That's the guy. He was the first person that gave me a studentship here. He said, I'm taking you. I just, he does, he doesn't, he never saw my picture, nothing. He said, I saw your CV and I'm taking you. That was when I carried the map and looked for where Wolverhampton is. God is my witness. <laughs> I said, this is a serious matter. I've been coming to England. I know London. I know Manchester. I know Loughborough. I know many places like that. I've never heard of Wolverhampton. I know Southampton. I've never heard of Wolverhampton. Is it in the north? Is it in the south? My wife will corroborate this. I showed her. I said, ah, it's somewhere in the center of the country. <laughs> I said, and they wrote it in capita, so it must be a, a, a big, a big <laughs> That's how we came to Wolverhampton to today. Because God knows. God knows a day like this, 20 years down the line, that the assignment was for this area, not for Manchester. I'm not saying I have anything, I don't have anything against Manchester, but God showed me again clearly. Rest in God. These are examples that I've given you personally from my life to help you to understand that you may be going through certain things today you may not understand. You may be wondering, but Lord, this is what I choose to do. Settle with God. Then he will start to show you with his grace how he's working out something in that which you are going through. Amen. So we must be trusting in his grace. That's number one. Number two, not allowing fear and anxiety by making God our refuge always. I've talked a little bit about fear and anxiety, but I want to mention it again. Also, we talked about it last week. 
Philippians 4, 6. The Bible says, be anxious, sorry, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. But first thing you have to remove is anxiety. When you are praying with anxiety, you have nullified the prayer. When you are praying in fear, you have nullified the prayer. The only prayer that saves is what is called the prayer of faith, not the prayer of fear. So we must understand. He said, be anxious for nothing. You must take away. And to make anxiety of no effect in your life, you must see God as your refuge. You must trust God that not only is he sovereign, like we said in the last point, but that he's also present like he said he will be present. You have to learn to trust him. People say fear is false evidence appearing real, which can, it, it, it sounds okay, and it has some element of truth in it, but some evidences are not false. Some are very factual. <laughs> if you've not been through certain things in life, you some are very, very factual. You can touch the evidence like this. It's not false evidence at all. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not just appearing real. It's a factual evidence, in my own definition, against the reality of the word of God, if I must use those acronyms. It's a factual evidence in many cases, but it's against the reality of the word of God. The word of God, what is the word of God saying about something? It's like when the children of, when the disciples and, and Jesus were in the boat and the storms. Are you saying that those are false evidence? They were real. Their boat was about to capsize. They were afraid. They said we would die. So that's a factual evidence. It's not a false evidence. But the king of peace, the prince of peace himself, when he woke up, he said, peace be still, because he knows that those storms and those waves are going contrary to what God has said. When they started in Mark chapter 4, you can read that story from verse 37 roundabout to verse 36 to verse 39. When they started the journey, the Bible says, he said, let us cross over to the other side. Somebody say reality. Say reality. Reality is that it has been destined that they will cross over to the other side. Storm or no storm. Wave or no wave. And they heard those words. And they were truly crossing. But when they saw the wind, they said, ha, this man, and this man is sleeping. They said, this man does not care if we perish. Because what they now started to see is the effect of the factual evidence of the storm. Many of us have had high dreams, high hopes. God gave them to us. But we have, over the months and years, allowed so many factual evidences to distort our vision. And like the disciples were shouting, Oh Lord, don't you care? If I perish, don't you care? This is too much for me. Everything we have said in that kind of language goes contrary to what he has said. He has promised you that he will not allow anything that is more than you to come to you. He has promised you. That's his promise. That's why next week we'll be looking at patience in trials. Not just patience, patience in trials. Believers like to run out of trials at times because they stay in there. <laughs> because there is something you need to know that as you are in that trial, I'm working out something for you. That's for next week. But when we start from understanding the joy of the Lord, and know how to walk in the peace of God, 
it makes it easier for us to be patient. That's why if you look at the sequence, it says love, joy, peace, patience. Because somehow it starts with the love of God. It starts with understanding the love of God then walking in the joy of the Lord and knowing how to live with him in peace that you can actually be very patient though they are all part of the working of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 46 from verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Bible calls him very present, not likely present, not not may be present. He is very present. He said he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you want to be honest with yourself, there are times that you wonder whether he's there or not. I've been there many times. Your brain will say, where is, where is God in this? Because nothing looks like God inside it. Everywhere looking chaotic, this one happening. And you go to, you get home where you think everything will be okay. Then you get home, it's another story altogether. Some days are like that. And you are like, where is God in all this? For as the Bible says, he's a very present help in trouble. He showed us with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they trusted him as their refuge, they were at peace. They said, this God will deliver us. But even if he does not, we will not bow. And when they threw them into the fire, he waited for them to throw them into the fire. Listen, Jesus could have manifested at the gate of the furnace with some heavy angels like that, that as those guys were coming, he would just destroy all of them and they would not have been thrown into the fire. Many of us, when we pray, that is what we want him to do. We see the trouble coming. We see the fire that we're about to be thrown into. And we say, Lord, help me not to be thrown into this fire. And he said, no, the way I want to show myself is that you will be thrown into it first. <laughs> then I will manifest so that the world will know that I am your defender. I am your refuge. The psalmist said, God is our refuge. is our strength. Psalm 91 says, he that dwells in that secret place is the one that will understand it and abide by it. He that builds that relationship because he's our refuge, we will not fear. Look at the things he started to describe. Even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, these are very difficult things. He said, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. <laughs> Verse 4 says, there is a river whose streams shall make glad what? The city of God. Even though all around you looks like chaos, looks like impossibility, looks like nothing is happening. He said there is a river. When Jesus talked about that river in John chapter 4 to the Samaritan woman, he said the, you, the woman said give me water. Then Jesus said to the woman, give me water. The, man said, the woman said you don't have anything to draw water. How can you be asking me for water? And you're a Jew and all that. You know the story in John 4, the Samaritan woman? But in verse 13, Jesus said you know what? This water, anybody that drinks it, this water you are analyzing like this, anybody that drinks it, he will thirst again. He cannot have the peace of God. And that, that is the water most people are drawing today. The water of their job, their business, their career, their this, their that, their status. They hold on to those things and now they, it is good. The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone. So you need, to, you need to have that water, you need to have that bread. But the reality is that you must know how to connect to the river whose streams make glad. Jesus said, he said, there is a water that I give. He said, anyone that drinks that one, even when he thirsts, even when he's, uh, he's thirsty, he said that he will never be thirsty again because that water will be inside him a river of eternal life. 
You can read that in John 4, 13 to about 15. He said it will be welling on his inside, a river of eternal life. He said that stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of his tabernacle of the Most High. Every one of us must press into this. Verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Say, God is with me. I shall not be moved. Say, God will help me. Just at the break of dawn. You know, Psalm 30 verse 5, the Bible says, Though weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning light. The psalmist said, just at the break of dawn. Don't give up. When it's looking dark and gloomy and the weeping seems to be going on and lingering on, just at the break of dawn, can I have verse 5 again? Just at the break of dawn, just at the break of dawn, the help of God will come. Just at the break of dawn, hallelujah, just at the break of dawn, the help of God will come. Just learn to wait for it. Have you ever seen, have you slept and woken up? And night just continued and continued. Even in countries that they have three months, after three months of darkness, they will have another three months of light. At least one day the thing crosses again. <laughs> just at the break of dawn, God shall help her. Just at the break of dawn, he came for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The man said, didn't we cast three men bound in the fire? Now I see four men walking about loose. Just at the break of dawn, may we not give up until the break of dawn. In the name of Jesus, the Bible says, until the day star arises in your heart, the prophecy will come to pass. I say it shall come to pass. In the name of Jesus. When you have God's help, you have everything. He said, God shall help her. When you have God's help, you have everything. I learned from a very early age how to be helped by God. And it's such a, such a very fantastic way of living. When you have challenges, the first thing you are looking for is God's help. Many people have got accustomed to looking for, you know, I'm sure many of us here will testify to this. You get a lot of messages from people, especially if you've come from some developing countries like that. You get a lot of messages from people saying that they're under lockdown. Help them with money. I say, didn't you read that the whole world is under lockdown? <laughs> Everybody's under lockdown. We're all looking up to God. Of course, we do whatever we can do part-time to help whoever. But you know, it's a mindset. I have a brother in Houston in Warsaw, in London. So they don't even think again. That, and they are reading on the paper that that brother too was locked down. So where do you want him to get money to send to you? <laughs> we need to come out of a place to know that we need to rely on God's help, not allowing fear and anxiety. When you need to do something, please recognize that it is God that will help you. If God cannot help you, no man can help you. I am not saying God cannot use people, but your connection must be to God first. When you look to God first, if he needs a human agent, he will bring them your way. I say he will bring them your way. But you put your trust in the Lord. You put your trust in God. Many people have beclouded their reasoning with the things that they can see in the physical. Those factual evidences. And many times they get disappointed because they do not understand that God is right there. And we should not be moved. Just at the break of dawn, God will keep coming through for us all in Jesus' name. The third point I just want to quickly touch is 
for us to continue to be a people who recognize and remove these peace destroyers, we must not be we must we must be recognizing our individuality in God. We must be recognizing our individuality in God. I touched on this a little bit on the first point. God has a plan for everybody. God has a plan for everybody. And God's ways are not our ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. The Bible says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves. They measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Many people live comparing themselves with other people today. There is no wisdom in it. You lose your peace easily when you live like that on a daily basis. Instead of looking unto God and God helping you. Now there is nothing wrong in taking inspiration of, from people's stories. No. In fact, you should do that. We read the autobiographies of men so that we can learn from their stories and be inspired by their stories. That's fine. But when you are comparing yourself to somebody else and you are expecting God to perform in certain ways because you have seen it in another person, the Bible says, it is not wise. Verse 13 says, we, however, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within limits. Recognize your limits. I recognize my limits. I have a credit card that, that has a credit line of some heavy, heavy thousands on it. But I don't just go to the shop and say, swipe it, everything. <laughs> because even though the bank told me that the credit limit is, you know, that number of thousands of pounds, I don't go there and say, swipe everything for me now. I, want to <laughs> I know my limit. I know what I can confidently handle per time in it and not incur interest. So I stay within that limit. They stopped, they, when they didn't know that I knew that trick, they were increasing it every year. They just had, <laughs> they were increasing limits. They saw they, have, so they, they found another person in the way. <laughs> so every year they say, we have added 5,000. I say, keep adding. I will not go beyond my <laughs> So when they saw that this man is not, they stopped writing me about it. <laughs> Some of us don't know our limits. And then we put ourselves we lose our peace because we don't recognize our limits. Paul said, we have recognized that within the limit of the sphere which God appointed us, this sphere included only you. So we are looking at you now. Recognize your limits per time. Don't compare yourself to anybody. Whether in life, I just told you about my mates. I'm also connected to my secondary school mates. From, we left secondary school 1984, 39 years ago. Is that, am I correct? 36 years ago, 36 years ago. We left secondary school 36 years ago. About 100 of us are still connected from that set. And we still laugh, and the guys who used to give trouble in class still give trouble to today. <laughs> they still pull everybody's legs to today. We tell them, you are grandpa now, this man, you are still causing trouble. They will ban them from the group and bring, the same way we were in secondary school. <laughs> They will ban them today. After three weeks, they will bring them back. They say, I'm very sorry, I caused you. The same way they were causing trouble. I say, man, it takes time, so people never change. Anyway, <laughs> but you know, we laugh, but we're all in different levels. Some of them are top government functionaries. Some of them are doing so well. Some of them are, you know, surgeons. Some of them are all this, all over the place. But some, not so fortunate. Some, not so fortunate. Some of them will still help still help from time to time. 
But they are not there. They are not there saying, oh, after all, that was my mate. He's doing this. And no, 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 no. Because it is foolishness to do that. Let us not compare ourselves. Let's not compare our marriage to another person's marriage. How many of you went to the altar? Even when, they, when you did mass wedding, did they, put, did they join you with another person's wife or husband? They joined you with your own spouse. So even if it was mass wedding, you did. Because I know some of us did mass wedding. But in many cases, you went to the altar, you and your spouse. So why are you, why in your journey did you start, when did you start comparing yourself with somebody? Don't compare your life, your marriage, don't compare your children. Some people compare their children and mess up children. They say, can't you see uh, Andrew? Andrew has, is always passing. Do you know what Andrew does to pass? You don't know. And you don't know the brain that is in Andrew. You don't know. And at times, children inherited the, the brain of the parents anyway, so let's leave. <laughs> I didn't look up, so I'm not looking at you. <laughs> Don't say, this pastor is this talking to me. I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> Somebody say, yeah, you, can't you see all the other children? When I was in your age, eh, eh, don't say when you were. <laughs> we are looking at today. <laughs> One of my friends, many years ago, he was just turning 42. That time when Obama became president. He called me, he said, I'm so furious with my son. I told him that when I was his age, I said, is that true? He said, yeah. I said, don't say that to the boy again. I said, don't you know Obama is your age mate and he's ruling the country? He said, ah, David, that's true. I never thought of that. I said, yeah. so don't be telling the boy when you are saying, you two, your age mates are doing much more than you are doing now. <laughs> don't compare your children to anybody. Don't compare your career. God has a career path for everybody. I'm not ashamed. I'm a preacher. I'm an engineer. I'm a teacher. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of it. 25 years ago, I would have found it difficult because they used to make people like us feel ashamed that we're not serious preachers. <laughs> they would tell us we're not serious people. They would say we should come full time. I'm not ashamed. Not everybody can do it. I may not have one million people following today, but not everybody can do what I'm doing. <laughs> it's true. It takes a grace, and I'm grateful to God for that endowment. Be grateful. These days, it's very easy to compare in physical space and, and most importantly, in virtual space, social media. Many people have ruined their lives with stories of people they read on social media. That couple you see every time that come and do like this is not what they are showing you complete. <laughs> They are showing you smile every time. The day they are doing that at the back of the... They don't film it and put it on. I'm not saying every couple that smile does that. I'm only saying that don't let those things move you. Enjoy your family. Learn what you need to learn and enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your spouse. Don't compare your spouses to other people. Don't say to your wife, look at that lady. She has a better shape. Don't say to your husband, look at that man. He's your age. He's doing better. Don't say that. Don't say that. You can never be at peace in that marriage if you talk to each other like that. Celebrate each other. Enjoy each other. Enjoy what you have today. You may have one child and you've been waiting for five years or ten, ten years. Or you may still be waiting to have the first child. Keep enjoying yourselves. My friend that I... I was his best man, 1995, November, just a month before my own wedding. His wife just had their first baby, April this year. 
almost 25 years. We waited, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. He's a preacher. We prayed. I've had children ever since the third year of my own marriage. We didn't stop being friends. Let us pray. Wait, wait.